Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 154 of Fun with Cars for coverage of the Monaco Grand Prix from the Principality, from the crown jewel of the Formula One calendar, from that place where rich people go. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And I have to say, as time goes on, uh, I have more and more sort of respect for the craziness that is Monaco. I mean, I've always known that it's crazy, and you've seen the laps, and, you know, I've, I've uh, played video games with that. Uh, with the track in there, you know, this tight, twisty, whatever. But I don't know, for, for some reason, these last few years, and especially this year, um, it sort of really struck me as how crazy this place is um, that, uh, you know, that we have a race here. And it's like, you know, everything else, as we've talked about with Formula One, has moved forward in technology and tires and safety and, you know, engines and just all kinds of different ways. And yet, here we are at Monaco, basically the same as it's been since the late 20s of as far as track layout. And, you know, with the chicanes and Roughly different the same stuff. anyway, yeah. But... It's like, how Im- improbable is that? And that's still just what's so cool about it. So I'm, yeah, definitely happy to uh, to be back, um, you know, seeing racing at Monaco. And, of course, it's part of uh, sort of the best day in racing, as it were, with uh, the Indy 500 is happening as we speak. Uh, we will be yes. catching up on that later. Yes. But, uh, you know, we had Monaco this morning, um, Indy 500, and then, you know, Coca-Cola 600 for NASCAR. Not the most exciting thing, but it's still cool that there's, like, just all kinds of racing going on. The, and that's still not the end. I think there's some go-kart racing going on, too. Which well, we should totally shoot. watch. And then if you and I are going to like drive to lunch, then that could be like we could race there. Ooh, I mean, you know, because we live our lives ten seconds at a time. Right. Anyway, short races. Um, there's quite a bit to talk about from this race weekend. Um, I think uh, a lot of it having to do with qualifying and the particular way in which pole position uh, was was collected by one Nico Rosberg. Um, so obviously he, uh, you know, had oh. set. I, that's right. I forgot to you didn't you didn't see that. It, it, the way qualifying works, uh, Nico Rosberg he set the fastest lap time in a single lap, and since no one else set a faster lap time, he gets to start from pole. That's I, I should have explained that to you. I'm so sorry. That's that's how qualifying works. Oh well, okay. I guess yeah, we can yeah, move yeah. on. That's settled. <laughs> okay, I'm getting the I'm getting the you're the one that interrupted me, jerk. Now talk about it. So, owning up to my interruption, uh, Nico Rosberg did set the fastest lap thus far of Q3, but then caused a yellow flag incident, and that hurt many folks who were trying to qualify later on. One of them being his own teammate, Lewis Hamilton, who is none too pleased about it. Right. So the conspiracy theorists or whatever interested fans uh you know took that as an opportunity to go wild and think oh man he must have known exactly what he was doing nico rosberg set a really good banker lap which happened to be just a few hundredths ahead of uh, of hamilton's lap and then you know some people i think uh you know believe that he then intentionally you know uh, locked up knowing that this would bring out a local yellow knowing that that would mean everyone behind him including his teammate would not be able to set a faster lap and I personally don't think that that's what happened. Um, I think this is, uh, I guess it's possible that he would have had all that in his mind to think, where am I on my lap? Where is Hamilton? Am I for sure going to bring out a local yellow? I mean, I think it's possible that if you you do a lockup and go off into the runoff area, that's not guaranteed a local yellow, right? I mean, he's off in a pretty safe offside of the part of the track there. I don't know that it's even a hundred percent thing to, uh, to do that. So to throw your, your best lap away on the chance that it's going to cause a local yell and that that would then uh, affect your other, you know, the other people trying to qualify or whatever seems not likely to me. Uh, and I think it's probably much simpler than that in that he was pushing as hard as he could because he really, really wants to get to, to, you know, to a pole to victory uh, Monaco, just like last year. And, 
you know, he knows as a as, you know smart racing driver that he is, you can push harder in those corners that have runoff. You know, if you're gonna exactly. if you're gonna push hard someplace, it's you know toward the wall, you have to push a certain amount. But uh, that you know, if if it's is it a coincidence that he have, happens to push really hard in a corner with runoff? No, I think that's sensible driving, and uh, and thus this just happened. And I guess more to the point, uh, the there was an investigation after qualifying of you know was this an intentional thing, and would he have you know he could because potentially could have been disqualified from qualifying altogether and would have had to start from the pit lane, which would have really screwed up my prediction. So I'm, well, that didn't happen, um, but. As we know, in these investigations, usually the FIA has access to some of the data from the car, from uh, you know where they were on the lap, and you know steering inputs, and throttle and brake, and so on. So presumably, Mercedes could make the case to Charlie Whiting and the FIA that this was just a mistake and not some kind of like, oh look, he turns in way weird here, and then he's doing this other thing, and he, you know could yeah. you know they could at least make the case uh, that either they did a brilliant job of you know manipulating qualifying. Um, where you know you know well enough to get away with it or this was just a mistake and the timing happened to suck for hamilton so i agreed with just about everything you said to the letter darn near until i learned some really fascinating news do you know who was uh handling flags on qualifying in that corner no nelson piquet jr I think it was all part of a major ruse, okay? And that Rosberg said, if I go in here, Nelson McKay is going to wave the yellow flag right as Hamilton goes by. It screws up Hamilton, and this is how I'm going to get the pole, and this is how I'm going to win the Monaco Grand Prix. Whoa! Ha, 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 ha. Yes. It's been a while since we have a good Nelson P.K. Jr. reference. Well, it's been a while since Nelson P.K. has worked the flag for the Monaco Grand Prix. I'm telling you, that guy's trouble. Yeah, jumping over sticks on the beach. No, but in all seriousness, Rosberg had been fast all weekend. He was the fastest guy in Q1. He was fastest in Q2 towards the end. Lewis uh, nipped him. Obviously, none of that ultimately matters. But my point is, is that Rosberg was showing real pace um, all weekend. And very rightfully, um, in the first round in Q3, Rosberg put a faster lap than Hamilton then. So... It's not like uh, Rosberg uh, was struggling and found a way to sneak this in. In addition to that, it's by no means guaranteed that Hamilton would have gone faster. That's not a guarantee. Right. He was up at the beginning of the lap. He was up in the first sector, but that's all we know. Right. And that's, you know, it is what it is, right? That's that's motorsport. That's racing. And, and you know, if this were, um, you know, what, maybe Sebastian Vettel gets pole in this weird way because he puts in a banker lap and then comes around and it means the Mercedes, like if it was somebody way out of order that you wouldn't expect to be on pole, uh, then, you know, you could look at it more suspiciously, but it's like Rosberg, um, you know, if, if it were true that he would have put that much thought and planning and effort into, uh, into this, <laughs> right. Colluding with Nelson yes. PK, as you're saying, yes. uh, it, it seems like Nelson PK Jr. is his cat, by the way, he was stroking it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nelson PK Jr. Yeah, no, you didn't know that. You should learn. You should read. Got some stories for you, Jim. Man, all right. <laughs> so it goes. Um, anyway, I think you know it was not that crazy that Rosberg would be on pole anyway. Obviously, I was you know correct in predicting that even from last week. Yeah, um, hats off to you on that one. You know, here I was on the Hamilton train along with many many people. Right. And uh, Rosberg, you know, the, this is what is really fantastic about this. We're going to have a great championship year. It doesn't matter 
if Mercedes stays as quick relative to the rest as they are now because Rosberg is not going to let Hamilton just run away with this. And Hamilton obviously is not going to let Rosberg just run away with this. It's going to be a great battle. And the two of them started in a very amicable place. But, boy, that is clearly eroding and eroding fast. Right. Um, And then, you know, spoiler alert, uh, Nico Rosberg goes on to win the race. Uh, So it was not the case then um, that, uh, you know, Hamilton could just whiz around Rosberg and then go own him on track. I mean, it was a good, good battle. And, uh, you know, Hamilton was staying closer at some times and had to back off probably to maintain the car and temperatures and all that. And then he would get closer. And, you know, there were a couple... I wouldn't say really the looks. I mean, it wasn't ever, ever really close. They were never side-by-side side coming out of the tunnel or anything like that. I mean, Hamilton was never that close. But he was, you know, within half a second on several laps and several sectors over the course of the race. Um, and uh, so it was sort of good, honest battle. And, you know, Hamilton wasn't clearly faster in Monaco. It wasn't the case that he was, like, being held up uh, a whole a whole lot of time. Um, I mean, he may have thought so, I guess. Um, and hmm. then, of course, the... Uh, the one and only pit stop that they did was a weird one because of the safety car. So they had to pit on the same lap. Hamilton was all super upset about it. Dude, but, we need to talk about that, yeah. But because it was the same, you know, there was this, you know, uh, safety car during this sort of prime pit time for everybody. Everybody else pits. So Hamilton, yeah, it was it was a bit screwball to have to stack pit stops with your teammate. Hamilton backed off a little bit. Ended up not actually having to wait in the pit lane. Didn't really lose much time at all because he was able to back up the field behind him. Um, and came out in second place. So... For all this concern about, yeah, he didn't come out in first place, he would have loved to have done that if his, you know, he could have gotten pit, you know, just a little bit better or made some hay while, uh, while, uh, you know, he was out front for a lap or two. Maybe it was all he thought he needed. So, um, you know, he, he was definitely very frustrated about that. And he took it out on his team um, and, you know, that they couldn't predict accidents. He was mad at them for the, for not predicting accidents. But, <sighs> yeah. But, it, you know, it, so it just came out and had, he had to, you know, win it on track and couldn't do it. So here's the thing. Both of them are getting into this tense and heated battle. And one thing that this shows about Hamilton once again is that he is extraordinarily passionate. And I could believe him absolutely that he doesn't mean anything wrong to his team so much. that he, It's just that he wants to win so badly that he's looking for every possible angle to do it. Do you know what I mean? I think that that, that desperation that you see out of Hamilton is real. But I also think that that desperation out of Hamilton isn't always mature and ultimately not always the best way to deal with things. And I think what what I'm seeing is a team that's working very hard to give both drivers equal footing. And if anything, I'm seeing the tiniest little bits of favor towards Hamilton. And uh, case in point, Hamilton was behind Rosberg um, in Q3. As in, Hamilton had the last chance to set the lap, which is generally a little bit favorable in Formula 1 to be the last guy on the grid to do this, right? So in that sense, it was a very minor one, but that was an advantage. And secondly, uh, what the what the the team did in terms of race strategy for having the cars come in for that yellow was entirely predictable and practical and the best thing for both drivers and the team as a whole. They could have they could have held Rosberg for a lap and had Hamilton go in first and then deliberately slowed Rosberg down, but I mean none of that is even logical. Do you know what I mean? Right. And the best thing Hamilton can do is still have that same drive to win, that same passion to win, 
But instead, looking outward for problems, look inward for problems. What can he be doing better? And not blame his team for strategy and other things like that, but blame himself. Like, what am I doing better to be put in these situations in the first place? Don't break. Don't blame Rosberg. Don't blame his race engineer. Don't blame the team. Look at himself. Yeah, and you know, hopefully, you know, it, it's it's a, in one side really good to see tension between the teammates. Obviously, seeing them push each other on track lap after lap is great. That's a lot more interesting than um, you know just having them watch you know play different pit strategies or whatever. It's really cool to see lap after lap. You can see the changes in time. Um, you can see where one guy is pushing another mistake and so on. But it, it does seem like that just that that can't go on an entire season that way. It seems like you know at some point somebody's going to get pissed off one way or another, or, you know, there's going to be these decisions where the team has to favor one guy or another, and they can do their best to try to minimize that. But um, it's, you know, you hope this doesn't become some, um, you know, lot of personal animosity or, uh, uh, you know, sort of dirty tricks or whatever of, you know, if, if there is uh, some situation at the end of the year where Hamilton's got a points lead and decides, oh, I'm going to crash Rosberg out and then I'll win or something. Oh, you know, via Senna. As That's... he said, I'll solve this how Senna solved it, which... <laughs> Of course, that was leading everyone before turn one of the race to think, oh, maybe, you know, Hamilton's going to do something stupid at the beginning of the race or whatever. Rosberg got a great start. Right. And I think Hamilton's smarter than that anyway, usually. Right. I mean, yeah, sure. It's like, you know, Hamilton was at the lead of the championship coming into this race. So, I mean, Hamilton hung out with uh, Will Smith. In Miami. Let's not forget about Let's this. Let's not forget. So obviously he's a smart guy. Is Clearly. That, is that your point? I don't know. I, yeah. Okay. Totally. It uh, must be. So it is. Right. So, you, you you know, you don't want to see it sort of, you know, get unprofessional or whatever. And so far they're just on sort of the edge of, you know, in the interviews they're all like, yeah, it's, you know, a good battle and it was pushed hard and it's all, you know, sort of great. You know, they're not actively being nasty to each other, but um, there's definitely some uh, – uh, you know, some body language and, you know, just interviews and things that are going on that are saying yeah. and it's, not so rosy. It's understandable that they're going to get more tense with each other because ultimately what you're talking about is two friends wanting to occupy the same space. Do you know what I mean? Both want to be a champion. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, second time round, Nico for the first time. Um, but the, the down part is the team thus far has done a great job of having parity between the two and letting them fight fairly. And uh, the drivers themselves have to be really careful that they are also doing the same thing. And I feel like that particular category is where Rosberg is having the, the upper hand. When he was in second place for the second, third, fourth, and fifth races, he was very professional about it. It's like, I hate being second. I hate losing. I hate Lewis. No, I mean losing. <laughs> I, and I just, I gotta, we, we gotta end this. I gotta work hard to get better and turn this around. You know, Lewis, even when he won the race in Barcelona, was questioning team strategy. And he's just got to be really careful to not go down that road because that's ultimately, you know, a dark path. You do, do you know what I'm saying like that? I just – Lewis as a person is such a great person. As a driver, he's so phenomenally good. He's going to let his talent carry him to the front again, but he's just got to have a little bit more inner confidence and um, inner stability so that he can have – Outer outer productivity. I'm using big words. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And he can also have serenity. He should have action items. It's great when you <laughs> combine big words with this like self-realization of like, ooh, I thought of a big word. Ooh. Yeah, I I but you see what I'm saying, right? Like 
I do. It's easy for us to say. He doesn't have something. Right, he from... doesn't have something to complain about yet. So don't invent things. Right, and I think ultimately they should both be happy that they have. You know, right now the way the rules and the cards and everything are, that they have the cards that are able to just dominate over everyone else. Although it was good to see. Um, after Lewis had this problem, apparently it was something in his eye. I don't know if Rosberg's like throwing little pieces out of his car to, you know, to get into Lewis's eyes or what. If that, was, if that was like a really just clever strategy, or I don't know. I haven't heard that particular theory yet, but maybe. I um, mean, and yeah, but, and to so, get through the visor or underneath the chin strap. I mean, that there's a lot. Yeah, so something came in through his visor, but um, even so, even after that, then uh, you know, Ricardo then sort of you know just get jumping up into position there, you know, that was pretty cool to see, um, you know, Ricardo and the Red Bull sort of react to that and say, oh, well, hold on, you know, the Mercedes aren't completely dominant. You know, they had, I think, kind of written off challenging the Mercedes. Um, then all of a sudden when there was a problem, um, Ricardo just started setting fast laps and was just really, really coming back and uh, really looked good and um, and was, you know, by the last sort of three laps right there behind Hamilton, also not able to get around. So yeah. well done, Hamilton, to, uh, to hold him off there. But that was a, a good sign as well that it's not necessarily just going to be Two Mercedes way, way out in front of everyone else that, um, you know, doesn't take uh, a huge uh, issue to, um, you know, let at least the Red Bull and, you know, Ferrari is farther back and so on. But, um, you know, certainly in Ricardo's hands anyway, um, you know, get the Red Bull right up there and, and start challenging for, uh, you know, challenging their pace. That's another encouraging sign, I think, as well. Well, and but and also, I mean, Monaco is a very unique track. Compared to the rest of the Formula One no, calendar. No, it's about the same as the rest. Oh, it's about the same. That's what I was trying to say. It's right. about the same. Yeah. Um, but then Canada, that's also a unique, unique track, but that's much more importantly a flyaway. But then when they come back to Britain, I bet I bet we'll see. I know for a fact, I mean, Force India has basically said we're going to have some fairly major updates for the car in England if things go to plan. Right. I think that's going to be true of a lot of teams that England will be the place for upgrades. And we might see some shuffling of pace and who's dominant and by how much and all, so on and so forth. But um, Ricciardo or Ricardo um, is another fine example of uh, intra-team things going on because it's so, it's so much fun to see him have the season he's having and with the attitude that he's having it when juxtaposed to Sebastian Vettel and his season. Right. Now Vettel, you know, he was so close to losing it on the radio. Yeah, quote he's of the like, day. Guys, I mean, come on. But <sighs> Okay, I'm sure you tried everything you could. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean that was you know, the the quote of the day was that all that he's right on that line of professionalism to yeah. his team. Yeah. To say it's like, guys, seriously, what the f? You know, who knows? You know exactly what you know German swear words he was going to use or or whatever. But uh, yeah, that you know, then you could hear him catch himself and go, okay, I'm, I'm sure you tried everything you could. Right. Ugh. Right. You know, he just probably went and stabbed something in his motor. Or right. Whatever. Right. He's probably like ah. Right. Um. So yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. But yeah, to see uh, Ricardo just. You know, who's now ahead of uh, Vettel in the championship. You know, this was a uh, very, very poor day for Vettel because apparently they lost turbo boost pressure, which seems completely unrelated to when he was stuck in first gear for a while. I don't know if maybe their right. transmission then, is turbo powered and needs qualifying. To... There were errors issues. Right. It's like it doesn't seem like there's okay. There's this one issue and they keep having to get around it, or it's like oh the temperatures are weird. It's like lots of different issues coming up on that car. Yeah. Which somehow are not problems on Ricardo's car. Yeah. Um, there was some talk of a you know fail forty on Ricardo's car, like something wasn't quite perfect, but whatever it was, the car still went great, or Ricardo was amazing to drive around it or something. Yeah. Because you know he was you know setting really really solid times uh, right at the end of the race. So um, it's it's kind of wild to see. Um, I remember. Uh, last year when we first learned that it was going to be Ricardo as Vettel's teammate, you know, Weber out and Ricardo in yeah. and so on. Just um, been like, what if, you know, what if he's faster than Vettel? Like, well, <laughs> you know, wouldn't that be crazy? Yeah. And it's, it's 
you know, it hasn't been, there haven't been many opportunities for outright battles and outright pace. You know, there's been different strategies and, of course, some team orders and, you know, Vettel should get out of the way. But that wasn't because it was, okay, it's a showdown to the finish and it's you versus him. Um, this, this always been sort of, you know, mixed conditions or weird strategies or whatever. So uh, we haven't really seen, like, the Ferrari battle that we were talking about from last race. Right. Where it's like we finally got, you know, the heck, they're actually on the same same tires, same time. You know, let's let's go do this. Um, but... I have to say, you know, Ricardo has 54 points in the World Championship. Vettel has 45. Uh, so there is, you know, Daniel Ricardo is, by the Red Bull definition, should be the driver to get behind. Exactly, exactly. And I, the fact of the matter, in my in my opinion, is uh, can that be a fact? If it's your opinion, I don't it's know. it's my fact. If it's yours, it is. It's my fact uh, that uh, Ricardo is handling this new style of car that has to be driven, which is more torque down low, less downforce anywhere he's dealing with that type of car better than Vettel is or maybe another way to put it is Vettel was a very strong driver when it came to extremely high downforce better than most he was better at extracting the advantages of downforce more than the others but now that some of that's taken away he becomes not trying to say he's average but more average compared to before I don't know. That's just a theory. Please uh, feel free to tell me why I'm right or wrong um, in any method of Twitter or Facebook or whatever. You know, carrier pigeon that. I don't care. (laughs) Right. I remember when we first saw uh, Vettel, when anyone first saw Vettel in race trim, 2007 U.S. Grand Prix, um, he was driving a Sauber BMW. Sauber BMW. Yeah. And it was some combination of Sauber and Williams and BMW. And I just didn't remember which one. And Williams had nothing to do with it. Well, yeah, there you go. So (laughs) in the Sauber BMW, um, that was when traction control was still allowed. And uh, my recollection was that Vettel, more than anyone else, was just burying the throttle and letting the traction control sort it out. And it seemed like, oh, well, he's, you know, he's good right now. You know, he got, what, two points in that race. You know, it was his first. Or I his thought one, I thought he finished eighth, and, it, and at the time, eighth was the final point. Sure. Oh, yeah, so, you know, he got point, you know, a, a or several points in his first, uh, in his first, you know, at least one his point. debut, yeah. um, which, was, which was great. But the thinking was, oh, and then, hey, this kid's moving up to, you know, STR and so on at the time. Um, but, uh, you know, the thinking was, oh, well, maybe he's not going to be that good because it's with all these electronic driver aids. You know, he's racing against other guys that are generally a generation older than he was, you know, or at least, you know, he was this young, you know, super young kid, youngest to score points and all that. Right. And so the thinking was, okay, all these other guys are used to driving, you know, some cars with traction control and without traction control and whatever. And, and, you know, just another electronic driver aids as well, ABS and even... Um, and that, okay, he's this, you know, this young kid, you know, he only knows the car this way, uh, and has been able to, you know, his driving style is built around a car with some electronic aids on it. So therefore, is he going to be any good when those go away? And then yes, he was. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah. Four world championships later. Um, so it's not always easy to, to sort of look at, okay, how, how something looks now and think, okay, well, his style must suit this and that. Um, but clearly there's some combination of factors that uh, is allowing him, you know, or stopping him from doing as well as he has before. But uh, it's, it's, you know, good for Ricardo though. I mean, I have that's to say brilliant that's, for Ricardo. it's, it's really good for him because that's of, of all the shoes to fill uh, and of all the teammates to have, um, you know, Rosberg and Lewis, uh, we can look at sort of back and forth as, you know, who's strong where and the different category, you know, different qualities and so on. And obviously they're you know, almost the same age and whatnot. Um, it's like a real, you know, close comparison, but um, for anybody to be Vettel's teammate on the heels of, 
crazy dominance. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with, with Weber having kind of the disappointing end to his career that he had and so on, it would be a shame for someone else to come in and just get, you know, trampled on and think, oh, well, you're number two to Vettel, but, you know, that's just a crap job to have. Well, so uh, to yeah. see Ricardo do well is just, I have to say, it's, you know, just really nice and, uh, you know, makes makes me share in the Ricardo smile. Well, and that's, I think, the single most important part about it. Um, it's not even it's not even about disliking Vettel. That's not what it's about. But Ricardo is so likable. He he's got such a good attitude about his position, just like in life. You know what I mean? He you can tell that he genuinely appreciates that what he has is special and really fantastic. And even when he has a bad result, he's like, okay, I just had a bad uh, bad result in what is otherwise considered a phenomenal day. I am driving a top-notch car, best of the rest, we can say for now. I'm, I'm driving for one of the biggest teams in the biggest motor racing sport in the world. I'm getting paid to do it. I'm having a great time. My life is amazing. I have a reason to be smiling. I'm smiling. And he, just, he has that attitude, and he's consistent with it. And you, just, you can appreciate that so much. It's like, oh, this guy actually feels like... Like, you'd think everyone should. Like, hey, your life is amazing. No, it's not perfect every time, but overall it's amazing. First thing. Second thing. How many bottles of champagne do you think Mark Weber popped after Vettel retired from the Monaco Grand Prix? Because after all, uh, Weber was watching that race on a yacht. And you know that he loved seeing Ricardo finish ahead of Vettel. And the fact that Vettel retired and Vettel had problems with his car when that was almost always Weber when they were teammates, you know there had to be some alcohol flowing as a result. Come on. He probably had a good, uh, a right good chuckle indeed. I, would, I would wonder if he was playing Rocky like a hurricane at the time. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Just asking a question. All right. The other uh, big feel-good story of this race for me is ninth place, Jules Bianchi in the Marussia Ferrari, getting two points, the first ever for the Marussia team. Yeah. In and their, is it their fourth year now? I think so, right? Yeah, at least, yeah. 2010, I do believe, was yeah. the first year of the new teams. So right. 10, 11, 12, 13, fifth year. Yikes. Yeah, if you give, 2010. There you go. Um, and, uh, yeah, so two points on the board. Originally, he actually finished the race in eighth spot but had a post-race five-second penalty um, because he served another penalty, but he served the penalty while the safety car was on. So it was uh, just a bit a bit awkward. But either way, it's still – so that moved uh, Grosjean up a place. But still, to – um, because of a, a lot to do with the other attrition in the race, to be fair, but that, that he was able to stay clear of that, drive a solid race, keep a good pace, keep out of people's way, and uh, you know, keep out of trouble. Um, very, very well done to Jules Bianchi, and uh, uh, that's that's part of the fun of Monaco. And we were talking about that a little bit in last, uh, the last podcast. Is it's just it is such such a different track, and uh, you know, we get we get different different winners, different losers, you know, different strengths show um, in terms of drivers and cars and so on. And uh, so to see them take advantage of all that and do well. Um, is is really cool. So I think that's got to be a good spot for, um, you know, it's hard to say Marussia is really going to take this and pivot up onward and, and do great. But for Bianchi, but and this his... gives them some muscle to do that. Though. Right. This this does give them a lay, leg up in that quest to do exactly that. Right. Um, but also for Jules Bianchi and his career, um, to, obviously he's already been on Ferrari's radar. And you know, if if Raikkonen's really not you know having this good year, not having so much fun anymore, and they say, oh, next year let's get you know Bianchi over here, whatever. Who knows? But yeah, uh, both both the Ferrari drivers are more in the senior level of things, and Bianchi is indeed younger and is highly regarded you're absolutely right about that um going back to the race results as a whole though there's something that just really caught my eye when looking at the results we had 
two or three safety car periods. We had lots of local yellows, but I know we had at least two safety cars. Was that it, though? Yeah, I think so. Two safety cars. Okay. Bearing in mind that two safety cars bunches up the field, or, you know, eradicates gaps and all that kind of stuff, even with that considered, only four cars finished the race on the lead lap. Fifth place, Nico Rosberg, was a lap down. Nico Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg. Nico Hulkenberg was a lap down. That's incredible. It was Nico Rosberg ended up being a fairly big gap back to Lewis Hamilton because of his eye. Right after that, Ricardo, another 20 seconds behind that, Fernando, and then nothing. I mean, that's, that's just an incredible result to see that. Yeah, it was, getting, just... it was getting pretty crazy, especially with the Hamilton-Ricardo battle, which was just tearing through lapped traffic. You right. know, guys were getting out of the way, and you know, dude, it actually worked out really quite well. It didn't look like too many cases where somebody really got held up. So everyone was on crazy high alert and following the mirrors and the blue flags and everything to, uh, to let, let those guys through and following do their thing. Mirrors? It's like, check out that mirror. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't even understand what's funny about that, but okay. Bigo, you look in your mirrors, looking right. in the mirror constantly. I don't think you follow the mirrors. I guess you the car has got mirrors attached to it, you know, so maybe that's the part of the car you're trying to follow. I mean, did, no? no? Yeah, okay, no. Anyway, uh, what you're saying is absolutely right, that uh, you know Hamilton uh, had to weave his way through lap traffic and keep himself in front of Danny Ricardo. All that was going on. That was pretty darn crazy, but... The thing, the part of it that's striking, okay, we had all the safety cars. This was supposed to be the track where Hamilton, uh, where Mercedes' advantage was the least advantageous. This was supposed to be the track where people thought this is where it could be the tightest. And in those conditions, it was still lapped down starting fifth place. That's pretty incredible. Sure is. <laughs> I'm just looking down the, down the results here. A solid day. I think we could say for Pastor Maldonado did not crash into anyone. Dude, he w- did not start the race either. That may be a, co- a coincidence there, but uh, that was yeah. Just didn't get away from the formation lap and just uh, had to, he got pushed back into the pit lane and then apparently never even started the race. So I mean, the that's, fact that's, that he's car number thirteen—it's so appropriate, right? That may not have been his fault though. I think you know he was actually doing doing okay this weekend. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, did not start. He's the one that chose number 13, so. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Checo Perez accident with zero laps to go. Hmm. Um, yeah, Vettel only got five laps until, until his turbo failed. Wow. Z- oh, yeah. I mean, Perez, is, that was the incident with, uh, Jensen Button. That was yeah, going to be. Yeah. That was all lap one. Wow. Yeah, that was right, right in the first lap. And that was going to be, you know, that incident was going to be resulted after the race. And I suppose it is now after the race. Maybe there's. Some update on that. Now, there's no further action on that. Um, Raikkonen did get a reprimand for his contact um, with whoever he was Oh, right, with. in the casino hairpin. Right, yeah. but, the, but no further action. And the other one was, was just a dude down to a racing incident. The other uh, disappointment, though, uh, Danny Kafiat, um, who qualified 10th, right, made it into our uh, ninth even, yeah. uh, made it into Q3 and everything, um, and then was actually running, um, running, I think, what, eighth or something for a while. He was actually running quite well. Um, and then had a had a retirement, had, you know, I get just pulled into the pits, and I guess it was later classified as an exhaust failure. Uh, but uh, that you know that would have been cool to see him do well. But uh, yeah, a lot of retirements. I mean, Sutil had this uh, just lost it coming out of the uh, out of the tunnel, and 
down the hill and, and you know, just, just mess it up there. That's um, fascinating that you say exhaust because his teammate, uh, Jean-Eric Verne, his is also classified as exhaust. You know, those STRs fair. are not known for solid exhaust. Were apparently. they exhausted? Huh? <laughs> um, I have to say, though, of, of all the results looking farther down, uh, Kimi Raikkonen's was the most disappointing because he had a brilliant start. It really seems like, at least what we can see on the surface at least, that he was starting to really um, get used to the Ferrari car and find speed there and be able to truly compete with his world-renowned teammate, uh, Fernando Alonso. But then he had a puncture during the safety car period, the first one, and then it seemed like his car, his race just slowly but surely unraveled from there. Yeah, and it's funny because that's you know they qualified right next to each other, Alonso fifth and Reckon sixth. Um, and as you say, you know Reckon got a better start and it was was hanging right in there. It was doing great, but it's like whatever it is that Alonso is able to do with its, uh, his awareness of where his car and other cars are around him and just staying out of trouble and, and whatnot is just really seems uncanny. I mean, we hardly even saw Alonso in today's race. He came fourth and uh, collected 12 more points and it's just true. kept himself going there as third place in the championship. But uh, Raikkonen is just, for whatever reason, sometimes it's his fault, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's just the, just the way things seem to pan out. But it's just Alonso is just able to just hang in there and collect points and do well, and, and Raikkonen is just... Um, you know, yeah, he's got these moments of awesomeness and, uh, and like, you know, early on in the race, like you said, oh, he seems to really have, you know, gotten this car sorted out and he's, he's you know, off and going and those p- problems are behind him. And again, this wasn't really his fault. I mean, it was just, you know, this puncture or whatever happened on the tire we never really saw, but he had a pit stop right after the safety car, right after he'd just gotten new tires. Um, so clearly something was wrong with that set of tires. And then, you know, from there and then later, of course, he's trying really hard to push to push harder. And he's, in, uh, you know, in the lower ranks of the field with less experienced drivers. It's more likely yeah. to yeah. have issues and whatnot. But, uh, you know, and then get this reprimand. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, he finished 12th, no points and whatever. But that's, um, you know, it's got to be things like that that you, uh, I think, really have to uh, just, I guess, commend Alonzo for his ability to just maintain these things and uh, and score points. And it's it's a big jump back. I mean, looking at the Drivers' Championship, Rosberg is now number one with 122 points. Mm-hmm. Four points back is Lewis Hamilton with 118. And then it's a huge drop back to Alonso with 61. Um, but Alonso is, to his credit, you know, ahead of both Red Bulls and ahead of everybody else that's uh, that's going there. And I think um, most everyone agrees that the Red Bull is the faster car. Right. And uh, so it's, uh, Ricardo has 54 points, so not that far from uh, from Alonso. And then it comes back to, to Hulkenberg, who's actually ahead of Vettel now with uh, Vettel's poor result here. <laughs> Wow. And then, and then to you know, Botas and Jensen and on down the way. I mean, Massa, you know, only eleventh place. Well, it was Massa's years. Halfway. It was years ago that we talked about this, like maybe two or three years ago, that we said, "Well, what is so? What makes Alonso stand out?" And he said it himself, and this is something I fully agree with. Alonso is incredibly consistent. He's very lo- reliable with what he does. He's he's reliable and he's precise, and he repeats it. He's super freaking consistent. So he knows better than most how to stay out of trouble. He knows better than most how to run a strong race for strategy and stick with it. I mean, it's just that's how you get results like this. Right. And usually, you know, the starts as well, there's so many split-second decisions. And usually most of the guys get it right, but it's so easy to either lose out a lot of time or to try something a little overzealous and, get yeah. you know, get crazy or cause problems or whatever. So some of that just split-second decision-making of is it worth it to try to go make some crazy outside move and try to make up this pass or I'm going to stay where I am or I'm going to, you know, just left, right, you know, moments notice kind of things. Um, and he just really seems to call those things so well, so much of the time. that. Uh, and, and let's not forget that Formula 1 cars are 
fickle bastards when it comes to feeling them out. They're especially not, Ferraris, apparently. They're not forgiving. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially Ferraris. Especially when it comes to turning tight. Ferraris don't do that. Um, so, there were eight race retirements. Three of them were accidents. But five of them were failures. Okay, one was a DNS. That was Maldonado. But we saw... Um, we saw engines blow. We saw a turbo fail. We saw, oh, and Botas's was a power unit issue. Um, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, real question. I mean, okay, everyone's been impressed thus far that there's been as few failures in the new technology as there's been. But is Monaco's combination of tight spaces and low speeds hurting it? Because you think about it. Airflow is huge for cooling in these Formula One cars. Mm-hmm. They don't get proper airflow, uh, proper airflow um, here than they would compared to like Bahrain, for example. Huge wide open spaces, right. big China, straightaways, Spain, yeah. yeah, whatever. Um, it's it's much more turning, much more slower speed stuff. Does this show how close to the limit these Formula One cars are with the new technology? I think so. It's kind of interesting because, of course, it was cool temperatures. Um, you know, very sort of good, comfortable at the cool end of comfortable temperatures, right? 68 ambient at the right. start. You yeah. know, which is, uh, which is just quite nice really. Uh, and, uh, so it's not like it was, you know, you think Malaysia really high temps or whatever, you think that'd be an issue. Um, but also, so, you know, it was, I don't, you know, I, I we wonder too, how much, um, you know, the ambient air temperature, uh, affects the, uh, you know, the reliability here, because obviously this was a cooler day, but we had several power unit failures. I mean, there's a lot of shifts, a lot of, um, you know, up and down through the gears and, you know, but you'd think, okay, maybe gearboxes, maybe brakes and whatever, but, uh, those didn't seem to be problems. It really was, you know, engine failures. So, um, I don't know. Um, I haven't seen lately one of the articles about kind of where people are in terms of, are, are these power units, you know, do these already have three or four races on them or are people switching around to new ones or what, you know, there's, um, you know, that, that's another, another point to look at, I guess, is this season, uh, people are stretching these for longer. And so maybe they're thinking, oh, Monaco, it's lower stress on the engine because there's not long straightaways and not all these, you know, on the throttle action and, and whatever, um, and, and super high revs. Um, if people are, are, you know, just trying to play games with reliability to, uh, to get these things going, uh, keep them going longer. Um, interestingly, I just pulled up the results from Australia. It was exactly the same. 14 cars finished the race in Australia. First round of the season, first round with the turbos and the whole yeah. thing. Um, you know, of course, uh, Ricardo is listed as 14th as disqualified, but we know he, his car made it even with maybe potentially a, <laughs> That's a, a right. bit too much fuel. Um, and two of those, of course, Masa and Kobayashi from Australia were accident turn one, lap one. I mean, that, you know, those, you know, probably could have uh, maintained it for the, for the rest of the race. But, um, yeah, and it's funny now looking at, um, who was out in that race it was Hamilton and then Vettel, you know, with the yeah, yeah. engine failure with the spark plug thing we found out. And then Vettel's, you know, I think it was a turbo problem then too. It's listed as power unit, but it seemed like something with boost and, you know, something wasn't working correctly with the turbo there. So, um, anyway, um, just, uh, I think, uh, it's it's almost like well now they've they're done with Monaco for this year presumably by next year at this time everyone will have a much better handle on all the ins and outs of these uh, of these power units and cooling and turbos and errors and everything so um, you know now they're on to Montreal which of course is a big braking track you know there's a lot of right. a lot of stress on the brakes there and you know Champions Wall and hopefully you know we'll, we'll see some interesting uh, right interesting racing and everything there but well and they'll learn too is like oh in Monaco we need to bring bigger gaps in the bodywork, not gaps in the bodywork, but bigger, bigger vents in the bodywork, you know, bigger inlets for the radiators and stuff like that. I mean, they can make, it could be that the tweaks 
as small as that would sort it out. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at the team championship points after six events. Okay. Mercedes, 240. Uh, first place very, very solidly. Red Bull Racing is second in the championship, but only just, really. Uh, Ferrari is third. So Red Bull Racing, 99, second with 99 points. Ferrari, third with 78 points. Um, Force India, clear ahead of McLaren and Williams. I mean, McLaren and Williams are actually in a, a very nice scrap for fifth in the championship right now. Both teams have 52 points, but Mer- McLaren has scored higher uh, results in the single race. Yeah, Kevin Magnus in second place yeah. from the Ricardo disqualification in Australia. Exactly. But it's really, we're, you know, we're getting into mid-season here and Force India in fourth place. That's, that's a great result. It I'm is. very happy to see that. And then it's quite uh, impressive, too, the drop-off. So from McLaren and Williams, both with 52 points, then the next is Lotus Renault with eight STR with eight, and then Marussia with two points on the board, guys. I mean, that's which is serious. That's huge for them. Because it's that, huge for them, and they're ahead of Sauber. Right, and and so traditionally, you know, it's it's whoever you know doesn't have any points. Um, it just goes by their finishing orders and whatever. But now having two points on the board means you know it's it's going to be so much more difficult. You know, for the other races, of course, crazy things can happen with weather and qualifying and all kinds of weird things. But right. the fact that it's been you know this four and a half years or whatever, you know, over four years, and Caterham is not a single point ever. Sauber is having a really bad year this year. They, of course, have had points in the past, uh, so this isn't uh, the same kind of thing for them. But um, for if Marussia finishes... Quick little fun fact, actually, since you said that. Um, I do believe this is correct. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen's very first race in a Formula 1 car was in a Sauber, and he scored a sixth place, which I think was worth one point at the time. Well, there you go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into that now. Okay. Please continue. And I'm going to try to remember what it was I was talking about. Um, <laughs> no, so if uh, Marussia finishes ninth uh, in the championship this year, I think, it's, I think it's fairly likely that Sauber could come back and get a couple points and whatever. But I think um, it's very unlikely that Caterham will come back. They seem to have taken a step backward um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of just reliability and, and pace and so on, um, and uh, car ugliness as well. So um, I think this is quite good for Marussia. I think that they'll probably have 10th, um, possibly even 9th uh, in the championship, which means they get the TV money and the whole payout from that, whatever. This could be a really big turning point for that team to uh, you know, expand on this and, uh, and keep moving forward. And maybe not with Jules Bianchi, as we're saying. Maybe this is his stepping stone to get up into a top team. But uh, you know, it's very cool to see that team, uh, to see Marusha continue to do well. And, uh, and, and as we talked about at the beginning of the year, I think their car is one of the better adaptations of these awkward noses and things um, but it's a you know nice swoopy car, and it's actually one of the side effects of not compared having... to Caterham at the very least. I mean, oh my god! Yeah, and even <laughs> one of the side effects of not having so many sponsors and, and all this stuff over the car. It's actually a pretty clean car design. It's you know black and white and red, and how can you go wrong with classic colors like that? So anyway, um, I'm it's, it's it's funny how happy I am to see Marusha get some points on the board. I think it's you know it's it's a bit funny, but it's uh, quite cool to see them do that. And uh, yeah, I mean, but but Lotus to go from you know where they were last year with race wins and whatnot into uh, to only eight points on the board and seventh in the championship right now is, uh, is a pretty big step down. And I am guessing you just uh, have, have checked your facts and come out correct based on your gestures. In 2001, driving the Red Bull Sauber Patronus uh, entry, he was sixth place in Australia. Yes. Yes, I was right about that. So did you know that that was the Sauber C20 and it had a 01A 3-liter V10 Patronus engine? Mm-hmm. I was not aware of that. I didn't know there was Red Bull sponsorship involved there. That's that's kind of the 
the interesting bit for me is that, you know, I don't know how Red Bull exactly was spending their money back in those days, but they were clearly clearly looking into this and, you know, trying to get some, uh, you know, get some feelers into racing and into Formula One and uh, yeah. see how they could get some sponsorship dollars. So and that's the, interesting. This is, now that I'm looking at Reichen and stuff, this is a fun little thing. So his next year, he was in the West McLaren Mercedes mm-hmm. uh, tobacco sponsorship. Anyway, the infamous MP417. Listen to these results. Third place in, in uh, Australia, retired in Malaysia, 12th place in Brazil, retired in uh, Singapore. Oh, no. What is SMR? I don't know. Retired. San Marino. Re- San Marino. Retired in Spain. Retired in uh, Austria. Retired in Montreal. Re- uh, fourth place in Canada. Third place in the European Grand Prix. Retired in Great Britain. Second place in France. Um, retired in Germany. Like Fourth place in Hungary, retirement. retired in Belgium, retired in Italy, retired in the U.S., 11th in Japan, 17 rounds, retired 10 times. Yikes. And if you enjoyed that, tune in next week for Robin Reed's Wikipedia. <laughs> no, but I read Wikipedia with an entertaining voice. Ah, is that what you're calling that? <laughs> well, maybe, uh, maybe a little rocky like a hurricane's going on in the background. I don't think it is. As Retired it, uh, like a hurricane. <laughs> you know, those hurricanes. All right. So um, as you may be wondering, uh, where is Jamie Price? Uh, you know, we, we were told he was going to be at Monaco, and he is at Monaco. Yeah, um, but, as we speak, in fact. Right. He is, he is there, and we are not, but we're okay with that. Um, so we will have uh, some special uh, from, from Monaco live coverage um, that's going to come out to you later this week or potentially next week at this time. So um, we wanted to sort of get this get this show put together and out to you in a timely fashion. And uh, while we're still having just watched it and before we go into IndyCar land and so on, and uh, and then we'll you know focus on uh, what Jamie saw and his predictions, not predictions, his observations from yes. uh, from trackside and so on, from living the life, from and being there, from smelling all the perfume and the champagne and all the money being burnt. I mean, whatever else is in the air there, he's going to tell us about it. Yes, and we have bonus audio from senior contributor Craig the Kilt. Craig, K R E G Craig. <laughs> <laughs> so we will, yeah, we will have a, a special Monaco follow-up show of, uh, you know, sounds from the Principality or something. Oh, can we call it that? That was really good. I just came up with that. Yes, yes, yes! Wow. Yeah, well, that was a lot of I wanted to show you the proper enthusiasm that I had for that idea. That was good. Thank all you. Right. So anyway, we apparently have some great ideas all at once. And totally. uh, we will have a, uh, a follow-up show later on. Uh, but I think uh, we've pretty much... Um, Covered what we need to cover on Monaco this year, right? Shall no, we, uh... no, I have so much more to say. Oh, well, say it then. Well, let's listen to feedback then. We'll see what that has. But, but. An email from Paul Austin. He said, hi, guys. To summarize your Spain podcast, Grosjean is getting more out of the Lotus. Maldonado is getting out of the Lotus more. Boom. Fun with words. Regards, Paul Austin. We agree. Good fun. Good, clean fun with words. We love it. Thank you so much for emailing us. And, you know, quite apropos. It's very true. Yes. Well well done. Um, of course, we were not live uh, on this particular race, so I was not following along on the Twitter net as we often like to do. Although we did have some back and forth after qualifying and whatnot. Um, so uh, Colin Sato was uh, among those thinking it was... Uh, a bit sketchy the way that uh, Rosberg set the fastest lap and then caused a yellow and was uh, questioning, um, you know, 
the status quo there a little bit. I, um, I, I might have. I don't know if, if I'm saying this right. I had a Twitter conversation with Colin because that was me replying back in the Twitter sphere. I right. didn't say so, but right. did, I, did I do that correctly? Well, Did I break Twitter? Did I break Twitter? No, I mean, so you, there's – anytime you see a tweet that's like sort of properly formatted in grammar and stuff and it says dash Jim on it, that came from me. And when you see a tweet that doesn't have those things, you can probably just assume that it's Robin. Thanks. So Thanks. That's, that's how that comes together. But um, Clint Matlock <laughs> points out, Maldonado not starting might be the best thing to happen for the rest of the field. <laughs> Hash <laughs> Crashonado, which I don't know if that's catching on or not. Um, <laughs> then uh, Craig Rose uh, had, had, was, was in there. Um, Andrew Baines, uh, Bernard A., and Amy Louise also uh, – we're, uh, we're, we're chiming in during the, uh, during the race. Um, Bernard A. says, Congratulations, Nico. Well-deserved victory. Well done, Lewis. Bring on Canada, which I think sums it up pretty well. I am also quite excited about Canada. Oh, but... dude, Canada's great. And, I mean, once again, Monaco. Frickin' Monaco is fantastic. What a cool frickin' event. I mean, frickin' A. Frickin' ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just so frickin' excited about it. Evidently. It was good. It was... I like things when they're good. It was good times. And as we posted on Facebook... Um, our our own uh, roving kilted man uh, did find our roving pit reporter slash photographer Jamie Price. So he they did. they they uh, hung out. They had a picture together, uh, and we posted that on the page. And I was thinking it's a bit funny because I've actually not met Jamie Price in person. I've like and I've actually never really spoken to him on the phone or anything. We've had virtual conversations over well, the podcast. We're going to change that. But uh, you know, if I've like, emailed back and forth and whatever. Um, and then you have never met Craig the Kilt in person. True. Um, but had some, you know, kind of conversations through podcasting, whatever. So now they've met each other, and like I've met you, but I don't know. It was it's just chaos out there. And it's, the love triangle begins. I maybe. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no. And Jamie's uh, Jamie's very good peeps. Um, I'm sure Craig is excellent peeps. Um, and you know the the fact that the, it worked out for the two of them to meet each other is fantastic. The fact that they took a picture together. Over, you know, at a marina overlooking all these really expensive and expansive boats and everything. I mean, that was just it's so like appropriate. like they had the right? closest to meeting on a yacht as we've ever come. Yeah, it's very, very true. And uh, I appreciate the photos there. We had, also had comments um, on the Facebook page about um, our last episode. And I have to say, generally, uh, Jim Helwig told us that we did a nice podcast. Thank you for that. Um, Gustavo Barrichello said, I just finished listening to the podcast. And I must say that Robin's idea for the sound of F1 is great, but I must say that would choose a different tune like I Love It Loud by Kiss. Another great choice. Did you pay him to say that? No, I did not. But speaking seriously, I still can't see the point of all the fuel saving, the whole package that comes with it. And the whole package that comes with it. F1 should be about driving flat out and leave the fuel saving to streetcars. That can't they can't go all that much they can't go all that much fast anyway. I think I think the point, Gustavo, is more that Formula One uh, sets a standard and an idea and a mentality in a lot of people's minds. And if Formula One can do it, why can't the rest of us? Well, I think it's partly that. But also um, what we want from Formula One is participation from road car manufacturers. So for a while there, you know, yeah, it's cool to sort of have off in the crazy la-la land of what it can be do with the fastest possible cars and efficiency be damned and sound levels be damned and, and you know, economy and all that. Let's just go crazy fast. That's great, but you know Honda as a car, man car manufacturer doesn't want to really be associated with that. They want to appear as green and you know and so on, and environmentally responsible. Red Bull's okay with that. That's part of their extreme lifestyle. Because Red Bull's but extreme. And, and Ferrari Look at kind us of crime rocks and drive cars. Rah! Eat pizza, vodka, and Red Bull. Rah! Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
And Ferrari kind of straddles that line because, of course, yes, they make road cars, but they make, you know, passionate, crazy, high-end, expensive, fancy road cars. And um, also their biggest market is the U.S., which is getting much, much stricter with its fuel regulations. Right, but they're going to, you know, they're going to have to do that. And obviously the right. LaFerrari is hybrid and so on. And Mercedes is also, of course, now they actually are putting hybrid on the Mercedes F1 cars to sort of help promote the fact that, hey, these things are actually hybrids and whatnot. It's very so, true. So it's, it's partly in the interest of the sport not sucking, you know, not being a bunch of random cars with people's, you know, that are... You know, which we've had back in the day. You know, when it's when you have a uh, a car and it's it's you know, oh, let's go see Robin in the Warner Special, and it's like you know, just some car you and your mates came up with in a garage or something. It's like that's cool and all, but to get to the higher level of uh, you know actual road car manufacturers, they they sort of need their marketing message to line up with what's going on in the sport. So, yeah, and finally one more point, which is uh, Formula One uh, traditionally uh, for decades and decades was a place where technology eventually trickled down into road cars, and uh, we want that element to come back too, if we can. You know, if if Formula One technology is is dealing with hybrid systems, there's no doubt that they will come up with things that uh, make their way in road cars. Split turbos by Mercedes is a possible example. Right, and uh, Neil Popham uh, also on the uh, Facebook thread about this last episode uh, posted this uh, Autosport article about um, basically Renault says that it's not really all about the split turbo. It's not all about this advantage. Um, it's you know, said to, uh, you know, to help um, improve efficiency, um, reduce turbo lag, and help with aerodynamics. Um, but then Renault sort of downplayed, you know, and said, oh, yeah, we looked at that as split turbos, and we decided to just, you know, do a normal traditional, you know, compressor design and so on. So um, that's so if that's to be believed, and I don't know why Renault would want to lie about it, um, they, uh, you know, that's not the secret of Mercedes dominance. So, what is the secret of Mercedes dominance? <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Scott Christie said, Great idea, Robin, but you need to take it further. Oh, what nice. is he talking about? He's talking about rock you like a hurricane. Have Mercedes doing bass, Red Bull lead guitar, etc. Makes it easier to tell the teams apart, so on the grid you get the whole song. Yes! I love it. My idea, once again, breathtaking and a breakthrough. Thank you. Thank you all. Oh, and you're welcome. And, of course, that means it's time for my favorite part of the show this week, which is predictions. Oh, man. You and, of course, finally. You made some hay today, it's, my right, man. Right. It's not much hay. It's two points of hay. But, <laughs> I, am, you know, that's hay is measured in points now. Um, no, so my, my, my Rosberg Rosberg, which is like I think the third race in a row I've gone for it, and finally it has come together for me. It has paid off. So, um, you know, that's, that's good. I, I outscored uh, several people today, and I need to uh, pull up the thing to see exactly what's going on here. But Right, and it, it was an impressive thing. You were saying, no, 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 I'm going to be proactive here. I'm going to stick it out and say that Rosberg is going to get the edge in Monaco, and you were right. He he did, and he did. It was a, it was a brilliant move and a brilliant decision. I feel I don't know if it was brilliant. It was it was lucky. It was whatever. But uh, I I feel happy about the fact that it happened. And actually, we are recording this uh, soon enough after the race that the uh, results aren't in yet. So we may have to uh, poke around, enter some results, and uh, and come back to see just exactly how many people I outscored or whatever. <laughs> if 150 people went for Hamilton, and then I'm just the only guy. But I'm sure it wasn't that. Sure, it wasn't quite like that. But well, going into it, you were you know you were not doing too shabby. You know you were uh, what 
you were ahead of half the field anyway, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, 40th place going into this event, and you scored zero points. Right. So you have a chance of collecting quite a few points. I mean, moving way up is my point. You, you could move up into the 20s, potentially, with this result. So well done. Wow, I only have nine points. That's not bad. Yeah, I have more than that. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I have I have something in the twenties. I'm I'm going to pull it up here. You have in a moment. twenty-five points now. All that's before as yeah. Of I will have race. twenty-seven. You will have twenty-seven. So I will be I will be much more in the staying where I'm at kind of position. But you'll be moving up, and good for you for doing so. Sweet, I like it. <laughs> so, Canada. Yeah, that's a place. That's a thing. That's a whole country. Yeah, America's hat. As it were, it's some say. Some say, lovely country. I, I'm I'm a big fan of Canada, um, and uh, you, you know, know what? I, I just love poutine. First of all, poutine. I mean that alone. Poutine is is outstanding, and smoked meat in Montreal in the whole Quebecois area, oh, so good. Um, as, and they have good skiing. As some as some folks know, I actually uh, the week after I got married, uh, I got married on a Saturday, and then the following weekend, uh, I took me and my my then new bride to uh montreal and went to the grand prix so that was uh sort of our first little honeymoon trip whatever and uh and that was good times that was 2010 of course i know that because of my wedding anniversary and i would never forget anything like that it's important you know i still haven't gone on honeymoon yeah dude seriously behind you should go to montreal just next week week after next (laughs) it's great no 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 because then you'll say i'm getting your sloppy seconds on honeymoon or something i don't want that Sounded way worse than it should have. Well, that's why I don't want to do it. I don't want it to sound way worse than the thing. Wow. I'm thinking ahead. Okay. We're going to go on a honeymoon one day. We're going to be, you know, in our 50s and be like, oh, yes, we should go on a honeymoon. And I don't know why I sound like I'm 90 all of a sudden, but whatever. My voice ages fast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Hamilton, Hamilton then? Or what are you thinking? I'm thinking that, yes, Hamilton, Hamilton again. I mean... God, but just what can you do? It's you can be smarter than that and go Rosberg. No, I don't know. See Hamilton, I really he is an incredibly talented driver, and he has done well in Montreal in the past. Um, in fact, it was the home of his very first win in a Formula One car, mm-hmm. and I think that he, I think he has gotten to the point of maturity that. He won't let this second-place finish in Monaco bring him down to the point that he gets unraveled. And I think that he'll push to be strong again in in Montreal. And so I'm going to stick with it. Yeah. And I certainly don't see a big difference in performance from the other teams yet. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's funny. It's like he almost kind of, he is kind of unraveling, and yet he's still doing really well. Like there's this, this line of, of how crazy and how much tension and, and, you know, what's motivating. It's, you know, how far is motivating and how far is pushing too hard. So, um, yeah, it seems like they were kind of in this ragged period, um, of, of, you know, you know, we just read this article from, uh, uh, from Autosport about, um, even in Spain, uh, Hamilton went against team protocol and turned up his engine to a higher performance setting, which is legal within F1 rules, but apparently was against team protocol. And Mon- and uh, Rosberg thought that was unfair and, and so on. And, and apparently, you know, Hamilton realized it was wrong enough and apologized for it and whatever. So it's not necessarily just as simple as a fair fight between teammates and Hamilton's generally coming out ahead. It's like there's definitely many, many levels to it and all that. So um, – that said, I'm also on the Hamilton-Hamilton boat for this one. Um, I'm going <laughs> to actually have to go and change my prediction. Oh, my God. Um, which, uh, yeah, for the first time in, uh, in a few races. But, um, yeah, I think – and, of course, when I was there in 2010 was when the temperatures were – I guess was 
was hotter than expected or something. I don't remember it being crazy hot, but um, it was when all the tires started going off and it was like really interesting racing. You know, people had to do a lot of stops and it was all crazy. And then and that was, you know, at the end of, uh, of the Bridgestones. And then all of a sudden when Pirelli was in for the next year, they're like, this is awesome to make tires like that. So yeah, that right. Was, it was Canadian were, Grand Prix was the model. Right. And it was, yeah, the Canadian 2010 and it was Hamilton who won that day. So, you know, it's like in crazy conditions and when, when everything's kind of screwball and it's, and you're in Canada, who's your guy? Hamilton. And I, I'm going to add this. This is a fun historical fact for our fans. Hamilton is the reason why you switched out of your Toyota shirt and into McLaren stuff. You got into McLaren stuff because you were a big Hamilton fan. And the only McLaren stuff I have is Hamilton stuff, to be fair. I don't have any Jensen paraphernalia or any Magnuson or, or Checo Perez or any, yeah, yeah. any of that. So, yeah, I was, uh, I've, I've got my Yarno Truly shirt, which was my original, from uh, which I got at the 06 British Grand Prix. Yeah, I, recall that, I recall that very well, yes. being one of the few Toyota fans out there. And then, uh, yeah, and then it was, and it was actually at that same 06 British Grand Prix, Hamilton in GP2 um, was just amazing. Uh, and everyone's like, this kid, he's already got this McLaren deal, but man, he's going to be in the McLaren next year. It's going to be amazing. And he was, and he was, and it was all on from there. So it was, it was basically that first trip when I was still, you know, wearing the flag on the Toyota flag, as it were, that uh, I was sort of be, started um, on being a Hamilton fan. And uh, yeah, since then, so it's cool that then the 2010 race that, uh, that I was, uh, that I, you know, attended, um, was, uh, you know, he was, he was a winner there and all that. And I do, you know, happen to have a, uh, small fast cat named Hamilton as well. Coincidence? I think not. Well, yes, you may have a cat named Hamilton, but don't forget about Rosberg's cat. Keep Rosberg's cat away from your cat, my friend. Yeah, we don't. Nelson Piquet Jr. <laughs> we are not done talking about Monaco, but we are done talking about Monaco this time around. But we're going to put together a special show with the man himself, Jamie Price, and also with some great stuff from Craig. And uh, we'll talk to you more about this. Because after all, this is the crown jewel of Formula One. Got more to say. We're going to say crown jewel like at least several times. Oh, my God. Crown freaking jewel. Is what I'll you add say. some frickins and I'll add some goods. It'll be a good freaking time when we talk about the freaking crown jewel. Because it's right. good. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please do visit funwithcars.com where you can post comments on the shows. There's links to our Twitter and Facebook feeds and all that. And you can always email feedback at funwithcars.com if you have anything interesting that you want to share with us and, uh, and onwards from there. So thank you, as always. I am Jim Lau. And I am Robin Frickin' Warner. It's going to be good. <laughs>